You're listening to the Arter Hour podcast, brought to you by our good friend, Red Wine, and sponsored by absolutely no one. Hi, thanks for joining us here at Arter Hour, a place between business and life where we get raw and real about the realities of running a business, how to survive as an entrepreneur, and maintaining sanity through it all. We're your hosts, Sam and Hannah, and we'll be diving into topics that mean something to us as female entrepreneurs. In addition to our outlook on these topics, we'll also interview members of our community that we think provide dynamic perspective on business and life. Today, we have the honor of chatting with David Ginter, a friend, a client, and an architect. On this episode, we discuss how the digital space and physical space collide in each and all of our lives. We talk about the battle to stay present, the importance of hosting, and the impact of digital media. Be prepared to Google some of the words that David uses. We know we did. Here's our interview with David. Okay, so we're here for episode four, and we've switched up our location a little bit. We're at Roots and Arters headquarters, our little office here in Gastown. And we have a great guest with us, David Ginter, who is a friend, a client, and an architect at Shape Architecture. So we are here to talk about many things, but uh, primarily the fact that David spends his days creating physical space and Hannah and I spend our days creating digital space. So we thought it would be very harmonious to have a conversation about how the two themes collide and interact with one another in this increasingly digital world. And David has a lot of interesting insights around this topic and uh, who knows where it's gonna go. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really exciting because you actually approached us to have this discussion and it's been really cool for Sam and I to sort of reflect on the things that we're creating every single day and the fact that we are creating digital space and how it's going to mend and meld and I'm really excited to kind of get into this discussion. But you know what else I'm excited to get into is this wine that you have brought. You are the first guest that has brought wine to Arter Hours. So yeah. can you tell us a little bit about why you wanted to bring wine and about this wine specifically? Well, David, that's not really fair yeah. because we're always drinking wine at Arter Hour, but this is the first gift. The, a guest has never brought us wine. We're always providing the wine. So very Hannah, exciting. Don't, don't put this on me. You wanted wine. <laughs> we asked for it. <laughs> but in the, in the roots and Arter spirit of things, we have two wines today. The theme is... Fierce Females, both of them are by very intelligent uh, winemakers from the Loire Valley and from Sicily, Italy. So the first one is Ariana Occupinti SP68 from the hot islands of Sicily. The hot islands. Sounds hot. (laughs) So let's get into it. Okay. I'm first. She always is. My favorite guests bring us wine. Remember that, people. We love hearing that sound. Music to our ears. The glug glug. This wine is an interesting color, David. It's it's a lot like liquid gold. Tell us about it. Well, yes, this is Ariana Acapinti SP68 from the hot islands of Sicily. And hot it, islands. Mm. So we've got Muscat and Albanello. It's probably been left on the skins a little long. That's where we're getting the color. And on the nose, we've got the beeswax and honey and the, the honeysuckle bush that you got caught in after the prairie storm with the hot pavement when you were a kid. Wow. 
I'm getting all of that, aren't you? Yeah, it's delicious. Indeed. Mm -hmm. Nice so, bouquet. So how did you get this wine community started? Well, it wasn't me. I All credit to my brother. He went off to Montreal, who has access to way better wine. Yeah, who <laughs> went, went off to Montreal, a city that has access to awesome wine, and uh, started doing these kind of cooking restaurant things, but eventually became more wine-focused. And he brought all that passion and love, actually a couple of people from a wine tasting group back to Vancouver and has been doing it in earnest for the past two or three years. Uh, oftentimes at a lot of restaurants like Bistro Wagon Rouge or Juice Bar or sometimes in our houses. Wow. And so credit to my brother Dan and to guys like Jesse at Bistro Wagon Rouge for just getting us together with good wine. We've got to go pay Jesse a visit. Yeah, we do. And how did you create this community doing these wine tasting series? Well, Dan does it with good old email, and we just frequent each other's establishments. Mm -hmm. It's nice to see each other. We like being together. You're and very connected to the physical self. That's oh, nice. Well, thank you, Hannah. <laughs> and, well, we wine's... Uh, not a difficult thing to convince people to get together with, right? So true. That is true. I don't know that I necessarily said that correctly, but the point stands. That <laughs> wine will bring people together, and social media uh, helps us share. It's been interesting to see, you know, this wine drinker that or this wine maker that we're enjoying now. It's cool to be able to see when she's harvesting, when she's having a party with all of her buddies, making olive oil, and literally kind of playing guitar in the winery. And so social media is an aspect to it as well. Cheers to that. Oh, yeah. Can't start a conversation without a good cheers. There we go. All right. So, yeah, that signifies the start of this. So a very nice segue into what we're going to be discussing today. Creating community is such a massive part of, of social media and such a massive part of what we do at Roots and Ardor. Um, so we're obviously a marketing agency uh, solely focusing on social media and the power that that has. But there is a power and there is a pain to social media. And that's something that I think that's really important for us to discuss today. And Sam and I feel more and more as things are becoming more prevalent in this conversation that it is our responsibility as owners of a digital agency to have discussions and have raw, authentic, and real discussion about what's happening in the digital world. Um, so David, what is something that you're really passionate about when you have that conversation or you discuss the power versus the pain of social media? Well, it is a conversation I just think everyone's interested in right now. Yeah. We, we can all see the way it's changed our posture, the way it's changed the way we relate to each other in the city. And as architects, we're increasingly seeing the way it's changing architecture, the way it's changing spaces. Uh, restaurants have photo sets now because there's such a high demand for people at places like the botanist to have their photo taken that, that there's three or four little photo vignettes within the restaurant for the service to be able to handle that high demand um, events in the city are almost becoming photo sets to a certain extent so that people can broadcast their their experience uh, so architecturally we're faced with that to some extent and, and the photographability of buildings, but more so just because we're interested in, in urbanism and what it means to, to live in, and be in a city, we just see the way that it's hugely affecting people's ability to be in a space, in, in only one space, as opposed to the thousands of spaces they could be in through 
their digital device. Yeah. It's really easy to escape into our phones. And mm. I think that the pressure to do so has become increasingly so. And as, as Hannah said, it is part of our responsibility to discuss these things as owners of a digital media space. And we always try to make social media really positive and collaborative and creative. And of course, there are challenges with that when we see this generation growing up um, with a need to have 10,000 likes on their photos for validation of who they are as a person. So there's a lot that sort of goes skin deep with this and it's a lot of psychological effects uh, from social media, both positive and negative. And so I think, you know, it's, we like to try and keep it in that positive space, but there's definitely that other element yeah. of it. You have to talk about it from both sides, right? And in addition to us discussing this physical space versus digital space, there's also the physical self and the digital self, which I think is something that we wanted to discuss today because we do all have this digital version of ourselves, right, that we put out into the world and how we present that we have so much control over and, and how does that impact the physical self that we are and how we treat ourselves kind of compared to that digital version of ourselves, right? And we can get caught up with that, and I think that's what we're seeing. But I think that there, the beauty and that power that we talk about with social media is the fact that as humans, we innately want to share. The ability to share has never been something that, you know, it just popped out of nowhere. We've, we've shared in different ways in past generations, but now it's just quicker and more instantaneous. And On I a think- larger scale. Exactly, and you have access to, you know, millions and millions of people. I know. When would you actually have access to that many people who are actually important to you on a large scale and be able to share with them? I mean, when you think about your life, maybe it was high school graduation or a, a sporting event was the first time that you could do something in a basketball game or on, at a track and field meet and be seen and adored by 200, 300 people. And then maybe at your wedding, uh, would be, depending on how many guests you had there, maybe there'd be 500 or 200 people actually seeing what you're doing. But in the world we live in now, uh, you can be seen and liked for doing almost anything by thousands of people. And it could be lunch, it could be uh, a walk with friends, it could be you in your home, in your bathtub. But we can broadcast that kind of visibility now and kind of illustrates the power of the social media age that we're living in. Completely. The public space and the digital space are really sort of overlapping and changing with this evolution. Indeed. I mean, modern city building has always been an attempt to do this. Going back to the coolest city in the world, Paris, 1850s, when it was really overhauled by Gustave Haussmann and this really tightly knit medieval city was kind of cut open with these massive boulevards and these big opera houses with these big internal atriums. The whole desire there was for people to get out in public and to be seen by other people and to see other people. And it gave rise to this idea that architects and urbanists love so much, the idea of the flaneur, which is this French term of uh, an idler, someone who saunters around the city, kind of gets dressed up and walks on these expansive boulevards and observes the drama of everyday urban life, the people sipping espressos, walking their petite dogs, having picnics, and, and just being a lover of the reality of urban life. Sounds a lot like my dad. 
Oh my gosh, it sounds great. <laughs> I want to be, be a flaneur. I want, so I mean, could be. yeah, I mean, th that's the thing I think is finding that balance. I mean, it's even just, you know, sometimes when you're walking and you have your head down in your phone, I mean, I'm guilty of it. And I think a lot of people are guilty of looking down at their phones when they're walking around the city because you just don't think about absorbing the beauty of urbanism, right? I mean, one way to be the alpha male or the most beautiful person in the city is just put your phone away. Look up. Look up. <laughs> put your shoulders back. Watch out for the bus. Yeah, watch out for the bus. Look at people in the eyes and you're going to stand out from absolutely everyone else on the street. So true. Would you agree, though, that in a sense, we've all kind of become digital flaneurs in that we're presenting ourselves and sort of peacocking on our digital platform, but then our physical self and our self who's actually doing the posting is kind of whittling away in the background. Yeah, I mean, that's an, a very good way of putting it. That's an interesting dynamic that we see now in our relationship with, with reality and with public space is that we have two selves, at least. We've got the public self that could be out on a regular basis, surrounded by people that are, you know, that like them, always doing cool things, always in great shape, always at, at parties. But the actual self could be at home, slouched over on the couch, uh, you know, broadcasting this information to the world, hoping to be seen, hoping that this public avatar, this public self is being seen. And so that illustrates the dynamic mm -hmm. of the world we live in now. Avatar is a good word. It is a really good word. And I feel, I feel like there's something more romantic to being a physical flaneur. You know what I mean? And actually well, it's being... it's more real. It's more real, obviously. And I feel like that to me just sounds so wonderful to be able to be in the moment enough to say, wow, look at the beauty around me because there is so much. So how do we do that? How do we help or allow ourselves to be that flaneur, but also, you know, have access to this amplifying of, you know, an audience that social media gives us access to? How do we stay connected to the digital world, but still present in real space? Exactly. I mean, that is the question of this discussion is how do you be in the moment and be present with your friends and family, uh, be in, in the space that you're at, whether it's the restaurant or nature or wherever it is, and be able to document that, uh, take a photo and be able to share it with your friends and not have the two cave in on each other, not always be the person who's at a party or with your friends with your nose in your phone and or so obsessed with getting the right photo and taking 300 versions of it you know mm -hmm. and, and being obsessive about the capturing of the moment such that you're not in the moment when it's there and uh, also be able to share with people and benefit from all the things that come from social media mm -hmm. frankly that's why I'm here that's why I wanted to do this discussion because you guys are a social media agency you're good at this obviously well, I mean, thank you. Yeah, I mean, your your uh, your accounts are good personally, and um, and and with Roots and Ardor, there's and every experience we have with you, there's this kind of seamless, be able to be in the moment, very engaging and likable, and, and we can look each other in the eye and kind of get get business done and all that. But also, there's this record of it that magically appears in social media mm -hmm. that amplifies the experience. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got friends in in. Uh, that industry and, and similar 
that I sort of look up to and have the same sort of astonishment and respect for Jamie Collins at uh, Analog Design. He's a graphic design branding agency. He's so talented. He is. His stuff's mm-hmm. great. It's amazing. And he's a really good friend of mine, and we'll get together for drinks or ramen or whatever, and he manages to be there, and I feel like I'm the only person in the room, and at the end of it, there's this whole great string of photos, and his wife, mm-hmm. Tiffany, is the queen, right? She's the best. And Bouge Media, and... Uh, and uh, like Tiffany's been a friend for the past decade, her and my wife Lindsay went to school together and just, you get to hang out with these people and you're getting both, you're getting them when you're together and then you're amplifying the experience with social media. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of the goal, right? right? Without them working in on each other. And I think a big part of it, and I don't know how you feel about this, is putting your phone away when you're in the room with somebody and having a real interaction with them and being able to look them in the eyes and be present in that moment. And it's taken me some time to learn that, but it is natural now to just put that side of my life away when I'm with people mm-hmm. and really be present. And there will be time for that. Mm-hmm. If you really think about balance and the ratio between the two, I would way rather spend 90% of my day talking to people and having real interactions and 10% of the time on my phone, checking up on posts or posting myself. Well, maybe that brings us to what might be like a point one for this discussion, kind of going back to that analogy of when are the times in your life when more than 300 people saw you doing something at your wedding or graduation or whatever, maybe one way of managing this in our lives is to think if, if we're really intent on a certain group of people seeing our life through social media, because everyone broadcasts to a certain group of people. I think it's mm-hmm. fair to say that when when social media is created, there's maybe 10 people that you really want to, to connect with it. And there's 50 people right. that you really hope will see it. And there's 100 people that you sort of connect with. And there's other people that are also part of the conversation that come in and out, right? But maybe one thing that's helped me personally is to remind myself that there are those 20, 30 people in my life that I love being with. Mm-hmm. And I would be, uh, and and maybe an indication of social media being negative in my life is if I wasn't with those people in person Mm -hmm. lots of times, then that would be, but was still just eager to demonstrate somehow through my social media that I had the connections with them, that would be an imbalance that I would say would be unhealthy. So I, maybe there's a way of looking at the year and saying, I love being with these 30 people and so I'm going to make sure that I'm with them as much as possible. In July, I'm going to plan a barbecue and have those people there. And in, I know that this person always does this, then I'm going to be there. And to recognize that there are those moments in your life where you don't need to post something because the people that you want to see it are there, right there with you. Right. That helps me to, yeah. when I'm in the moment. Because I'm like, I don't need to broadcast this because the people I care most about are right here. They're right. seeing Who's gonna everything like that's it? going on. Exactly. They're I'll liking it right now. Bob from Texas yeah. is going to be liking that. Yeah, I like yeah. I like being liked in person. Yeah. You know? I, that's the goal. I, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. maybe point one, maybe point one is just um, resting on in-person face-to-face experiences as the superior version of social media like that's the thing is when we get to be together we get to see each other with our own eyes and touch each other and hear each other you know all that so absolutely right yeah yeah and even like also I think when you're out for drinks or you're in that moment like you were referring to with Jamie you know, he obviously has a way of, you know, maybe taking a photo or snapping a quick photo because he feels that need to share it, but he doesn't sit there and edit it and, you know, analyze it and head down into it. He just takes it, 
if he feels like he wants to post it afterwards, cool. And then that works out that way. I mean, that's what I try to do is I just snap a, a photo or a video. If I really feel like it's something that I do want to have that amplified experience post meeting with this person, I will maybe keep it in in my archive and then maybe post it if I feel like it and then other times I'm like no not really something that I need to it's almost just the act of taking it and then having control over it whether you want to share it or you don't mm -hmm. and I do think to your point I, I agree with you I really do I mean I think that there is this thing where most of the people that you're looking for maybe that approval from or that sharing um, mm -hmm. sort of desire from are in your room but I do think there is another discussion with people that are utilizing social media for their business or for like a greater audience as well where they are trying to get it a out to a, a, a broader reach and a more vast audience and I think with that is just trying to figure out where you prioritize yourself above really just sharing that you're out for dinner right. you know like really prioritize which things you want to share and mm -hmm. figure out what your purpose is behind posting it mm -hmm. because again yeah if you are you know looking to motivate people and you're going out and doing something that you really want to share as part of your lifestyle yeah for sure capture a few photos of it but mm -hmm. if you're out for dinner with somebody and you get a really good linguine like do you have <laughs> to share that maybe it's yes. not you know, I'm a foodie. Linguini's good. I'll be yeah. fair. I'll how, be... how thick are the noodles? Were those handmade? Yeah, those were. Yeah, how much semolina yeah. are they using the flour? Oh, Thanks for posting. <laughs> I like fair. that. That is fair. But yeah. again, again, if you're a foodie, maybe that is your number one priority, yeah. and maybe yeah. another thing isn't. But I think that again, just prioritizing what's more important. Whether it's being in the moment, like I mean, even in personal relationships, like yeah. with your partners, right? Oh, and Dylan, yeah. like my partner, gets yeah. really annoyed if I'm on my phone. He's like, "Put your phone away. We're here in this moment together. Yeah. Why would you be on your phone?" And then you will see couples that are at both dinner. just head down in their phones, and you're like, "Why are you even at dinner? Why wouldn't you just stay home and, and text each other?" So depressing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> totally. Do you a question for you both? Do you think our philosophy on social media was at all influenced by our upbringing? Just to let the audience in on it, we are all from a, a bit of a different generation and B, mm. also from the prairies where we got out and we moved around and as kids, we had to entertain ourselves. So we learned those skills from a really young age. But now I think that that's almost a little bit lacking in how children are being brought up on tablets, on different devices, and they just don't have those, those preset skills to actually get out and, and interact with, with nature. And to know the or difference. Or with nurture. Yeah, or, mm -hmm. but also to know the difference of what life is like without yeah. those tablets or without those things at your fingertips constantly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, so, yeah, we're all prairie people. Yeah. We're all fist pumping. Wow. wow. Yeah. Flatlanders. I'm from Saskatchewan. You're from Saskatchewan now? I'm from Saskatchewan. Yeah. I'm from Alberta. From Alberta, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a little more urban than right. Saskatchewan. I don't know if you guys know. <laughs> so, yeah, I love... I, I love my upbringing in the prairies. There's something minimalist, you yeah. know, about being in the prairies, the snow covering the field and with the one tree. You There's know, one nothing. tree. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and no, I'm dead serious. Yeah. Like, I love that. I, I greatly prefer the prairie landscape to, to British Columbia, even though British Columbia is beautiful. I just have mm -hmm. this absolute connection to the prairies and the sense of seasons and the people there are, are able to be in the moment and everything is, and, and stuff like that, you know. Yes. However, I don't want to go down that road, especially with my kids, because, uh, and and generally, because you can get nostalgic about the past, mm -hmm. but it, everyone knows, just at a very high level, 
whenever you impose your insecurity on your kids and try to take what was familiar to you in your childhood and impose that on your kids, let's say for that discussion of your kids or the next generation or whatever, never goes well. Because right. the reality is that my boys do not grow up in a, they're not growing up in a 4,000 population town, you know, in Saskatchewan with one school and one church and one grocery store and everything like that. They're growing up in a multicultural city mm -hmm. and there's, and it is the digital age. To deprive them of that and to try to protect them from screens would, I think would be disastrous because it would be sort of like saying, nope, no drinking and no fun. Like no, no, uh, <laughs> You know, there's all these things out there that obviously everyone's really interested in that are obviously right. awesome, but not for you until you turn 18. And then what happens when they turn 18, day one, is that yeah. they're more they like... They go to jail. The pendulum swings so far yeah. the other way. No, that, totally. and that's not the goal. Like, it's hypocritical, too. I love mm -hmm. my screens to some extent. You right. know, I love... I, I love these things in life that are, a lot of them are addictive. And I think right. it's just really thinking about that, really looking that at square on. It's addictive. So... Uh, you know, and then there's all kinds of angst that comes in. The clarity for me in that discussion is let those things continue to coexist if they're dangerous. And you know what? YouTube, I think YouTube is dangerous for little kids because when you leave your kid with YouTube, it's watching them and it's presenting stuff to them that, that, that you're you not have in control. no control. Yeah, over. it's not yeah, like the ads yeah. and, and their analytics that they're actually targeting your yeah. kids is, is really quite terrifying. It's not yeah. like it's not like they're just watching TV. It's watching them and it's it's getting them, for example, for little boys, and this is scary, it's getting them already interested in certain video games like mm -hmm. Minecraft and stuff and getting them into games that have proven to be addictive, games that have been designed by some of the smartest people in the world and now have some of the most money in the world and are paying you know, armies worth of some of the smartest people in the world to make as addictive as possible. So right? that they keep buying the upgrades yeah. and all the different and, and, games. And let's... Like, be clear, those people who have created these video games and have created these social media platforms are not letting their kids on those things mm -hmm. because it's proven that it's dangerous to the kids' anxiety. Um, I mean, there's a great podcast, Joe Rogan and Jonathan Haidt uh, talked about this, uh, about the uh, when cell phones and social media became uh, pervasive in 2011 when most people had an iPhone, most people on Facebook or whatever. The, uh, the anxiety and self-harm statistics just spiked. And right. before then, they were pretty stable. And all of a sudden, you have, it's so sad to even say, but you have, um, especially for girls in particular, young girls cutting themselves and being admitted to the hospital for anxiety and self-harm at a, an alarming rate. Right. Because all of a sudden, this was introduced. No one really knew what the implications were. No. We, we can look back at it now. We know that... Uh, those young girls, young people weren't prepared for the fact that this was conducive to bullying. It was, um, they, they, these kids hadn't been prepped by the fact that a lot of the images that their friends and models were posting on Instagram were heavily rendered Altered. to make their bodies essentially into drawings, not into real things, you know, where people have mm -hmm. real bodies as opposed to the sort of, sorts of things that are heavily the rendered. CGI version of yeah. their body, basically. It's, it's hard enough to be a girl without yeah. having to be oh, a God. Kim Kardashian version of a girl. Like, yeah. I can't imagine being a 12 or 13-year-old no. girl and having Instagram. Yeah. And the filters that go on and just how you can alter the alterations. your face. But I do yeah. I do want to touch on your topic and I, I do agree with that and I and I think that that is a really important conversation because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if you deprive your kids of screens, they are going to be so far behind when they enter the workforce. 
Mm-hmm. And they the, might rebel. Yeah, but the thing is, at the end of the day, is like where technology is going. At the end of the day, these screens and all of this technology is going to be implemented into careers and professions and all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. We don't even know where it's going to be in the next 10 years when your kids, or I don't know how old your kids are, but when they're entering the workforce, how far this technology is mm-hmm. going to come along. So depriving them of, of it isn't the answer, but I think the education around it and implementing strategies around things like alcohol and Mm -hmm. drugs and these things that Mm -hmm. do have a similar effect like you've been talking about with that serotonin release and that addictive quality implementing things that are educating people so that they are aware speaking of alcohol should we break into the second (laughs) bottle sure yeah can you give us some tasting notes absolutely oh i'm so excited about this one yeah all right second (laughs) bottle of wine drum roll so again it's another fierce female this wine I love. We've got Anne Paillet uh, from the Loire Valley who makes beautiful wines and the reason I love her wine and the reason one and this speaks to what I love about wine is that she does wines that are incredibly beautiful on the nose. It looks beautiful. It's light. Oh. It's almost like a rose, like a darker rose color. Not a rosé. Not right. a rosé, but well, a rose color. But so wow. what we It smells like heaven. It's good on the nose. It's easy on the nose. Happy. Perfume, right? <laughs> so we've got a, a wine from Anne This is half Grenache, half Cinso. Cinso is typically a blending grape. And her wines always wow. just are like perfume. What? I've never tasted anything like this before. Where did you get this wine? Well, from my... Big shout out to my my friends at Liberty at First and Commercial. Yeah. Great selection yeah, well, of wine there. But you know, if you want to just have your mind blown like this, go to Juice Bar. Go to Juice Bar. Go to Bistro Wagon Rouge. I've never been to Juice Bar. Let's go. Is it a Juice Bar? Juice Bar is just around the corner from you, dude. What? Yeah. <laughs> dude? Yeah. Wow. David's getting real here. I, okay, so I thought you were talking it, about you know, like Birds and the Beats. Press I thought you bar. were talking about a Juice Bar. Okay, so Birds and the Beats is a we restaurant in Gastown. We know it. Back end oh, of David, it. we know about bar. Birds and the Beats. Okay. Well, go there in We've the just evening. never been to the back. You well, take to your snapping finger, and David, and you walk it all the way to Juice Bar. Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, no, you didn't. So it's at the back of Birds and the Beats. Yes. And so it's Juice Bar because they're being funny, hey? Because it's, well, it's wine? It's, or do they have juice? It's Sean. Yeah, Sean's yeah. got all these cool it's wines. It's creative juice. Yeah, and and it's it's just, they've got a great, I'm just saying, if you want natural, dynamic, bonky, beautiful wines, great selection, yeah, things, that are, things that are outside of that sort of, mainstream profile of jammy over oaked you know wines right go there because you're gonna get this you're gonna get this is so different from any wine i have mm. ever tasted and i'm just gonna let you know if you ever invite me over for a dinner party i will not be bringing this is a you plug. a wine okay <laughs> i won't because <laughs> i probably will bring you something that you're like it's so over oaked and all these but you well, like jay Moore. jay Moore? You know what? Hey, let's talk about let's talk about wine snobbery because I'm actually very existential about wine. The act of Good. drinking wine should always take precedence over what it is. I will drink yellowtail with my best friends. Will you? Of course, and have a good old time. No, you know? no, no. See, I can't do that. Oh. I'm like, I, oh. I, I honestly oh, can't. Snobbler. No, but it actually makes me sick. It gives me heartburn. Okay. Just so yellowtail I, or sort of a Just bad wine. Oh. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> it's just across the board. I'll drink yellowtail. But the good thing about the biodynamic too is you get less less sulfur, less garbage. Like yeah. crappy wine. The reason the re, the reason cheap wine sucks is because it essentially has ketchup in it. It has fake acid, yeah. it has sugar, and it. This That's is not. That's what's bad that. for me. This is not that. So this is the other end of the spectrum. We've got these grapes that are each getting like a massage every day and these a PhD are at the and. Spa. Yeah, they're at the spa, spa all day. Rates. They're hand picked. They're given a little massage. Yeah. Put in the basket. They're Beautiful. they're macerated with no sulfur. Their natural cortisol yeast. levels are really low. There's yeah. no stress going on in these. A grapes. psychologist <laughs> walks through the vineyard and you know in French and says, "Is everyone being treated properly? Good? Okay. How is your, Do you need anything? How yeah. is your mental health today, Mister yeah. Grape? <laughs> wow. So that was that took a, a turn at the end. Did you hear that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So that's, we're getting very happy, yeah. very happy grapes here that are made yeah. with love. And, and what yeah. you're going to get is a more volatile uh, aroma that isn't being suppressed by the kind of ketchup and vinegar and sh sugar that is put on other wines, right. essentially. Yeah. So, so who's the, the winemaker? Empire. So okay. she, uh, and her, her husband's a winemaker. She's in the Loire Valley in France, and she, she's got her buddy down in the Languedoc who, uh, and a, a nice vineyard there who's making, uh, who, who's, who's growing uh, m a little bit more atypical grapes, grapes that are sometimes more typically used just as a blending grape, mm. but she's taking them on their own. And because of the careful natural process she used, she gets just beautifully aromatic wines. Wow. Yeah. David, wow. where did you learn about wine? From my brother, Danny. Yes. As I said, he does wine Big tastings. Big bro? Younger? younger he's brother? younger, but he's smarter than me and everything. Younger, but he's wiser. Older. Yeah. So. That's what my brother always says. Yeah. No. 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 Wine, and you know, I got a shout out too to Jesse Walter at Bistro Wagon Rouge. He's all, every time I visit that guy, he just blows my mind. Yeah. Where is Bistro? We are gonna Wagon make. Rouge. Oh, Bistro's in. It's Clark and Powell. That's right by my old house, and I drove by it every single day, and I never got the chance to go, and I'm Damn. so mad at myself. Well, if you want bonky wine, go to there. Go okay. To there. Go to there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we we've diverged a little bit, and I love. It because we were talking about a lot of which it. is a great topic. Well, we needed it because it was getting depressing. It was just, getting yeah. depressing. I do, but I, I like the fact that we are talking about solutions because I do think mm -hmm. that a lot of the time there is all this press or media or all these different mm -hmm. things that are coming out, and it's all about the negative, and it's not really about how do we solve yeah. this problem, how do we find positivity throughout it all. Thank you for this refill. Because we have to live with it. We have yeah. to. And it's a part and of it's, our world. And it's also part of what we're passionate about. Exactly. Yeah. Ironically, where we're talking about both sides of the coin, yeah. but we are all prepared of it, we use it, you know, we interact with it. So it's about shifting our relationship with it, just like our relationship to anything. So how do with, we create a healthy relationship with this digital space and how do we actually show up in the space of our lives? I think there's several tools that you can implement and they are going to vary mm -hmm. based on the person. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, you know, someone like me, so I mean, I'm obviously a certain kind of person. I grew up in a certain generation, so it's not really fair. <laughs> It's not really fair for me to impose some of my tools that I've implemented in my life on other people. But for me, you know, David and I were talking about this the other day. I have actually started deleting the actual Instagram app off of my phone on the weekend. Yeah. Um, because during the week, obviously, we're running a digital agency. And 
were on it constantly and because that's a part of our job and on the weekends I just felt like I was on it but I didn't really know why I was it was almost like this this physical reaction that I felt like I needed to have my phone but I'm like I'm not actually needing to be on this platform right now so I'm actually gonna try and remove it and it's Entirely. crazy my thumb would literally go to the screen of my phone mm -hmm. and I would go to click on it and it wasn't there and I was like haha got yeah. you thumb yeah but it was so awesome <laughs> <laughs> one option is actually just to chop your thumb off exactly yeah, yeah that's that would hurt. Um, I'm not going to go down that route. But Sorry, guys. Is that a little dark? That's a little dark. Drink more wine. A little Zakuza. But I think, again, it is a certain tool that you're going to put into place yeah. for you. And then what I do is over the weekend, if there are those moments that I do want to share with people or my close circle or whoever that is, I will take a bit of a stock imagery and I will share that on the Monday or whatever date that I need to. Um, so I think that it is just finding different tools that are going to feed you and, and listening to yourself too and saying, you know, sometimes when you get into those deep, dark pits of social media, take a breath yeah. and like take yeah. outside or make a lunch date with a friend if you're really feeling like mm -hmm. you're getting stifled by it. Um, I think that there are tools that you can implement. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've done the delete Instagram thing too. It's good. So I'm going to try to give everyone their money's worth because I'm the mm -hmm. architect. You, know? you are no the architect. No one's paying for this, by the no? way. <laughs> oh, really? Not yet. I'm not being paid for this? No. Oh, man. And he's gone. <laughs> yeah, he's gone. Uh, you are the architect of this conversation as well. Okay, I'll try, to, I'll, I'll try to sound smart for a bit. Okay, please he, do. Here are my architectural bits of advice on, on, on this. Love uh, it. You know, also, also, just as as someone who's a part of it and etc. So, point one, maybe that I think if everyone's a bit architecty, it'll help them with social media. What mm -hmm. I mean by that is that we need to become better at thinking critically about our environment. Let's say, so all these comments are kind of coming out of the recognition that social media, it's great and everything, but it's sort of a bold-faced recognition that it is addictive. Mm -hmm. Right, it's addictive, and right. I, I, it's addictive in my life and a lot of and everything. And I think that's kind of a big part of what we're talking about. So I think an antidote to that is, and not only is it addictive, but it's very convenient. Our phones fit beautifully in our hands. They fit beautifully in our pockets. They've been designed with such care to be as convenient as possible. So right, true. and and it and the, we access information. They're just absolutely the most convenient things possible. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe it even means coming to grips with the fact that they're part of our bodies. They're so convenient, right? right? They're in our pockets. They're in our hands all the time. It's difficult for Hannah and I or whoever to turn it off and to accept that it's not part of our body anymore, you know. But recognizing that they're as convenient as they are, it helps perhaps to think a bit architecturally about life. And what I mean by that is that to think critically about our, our environment and to think that and to try to make our work and home environment um, to compete with the the the, uh, the convenience of our phone by being set up to do really healthy things as well. So, if you're spending too much time on your phone, and and there's other things like when you're when you have these moments of sanity and you're like, oh, but I also want to learn music, or you know, I've always told myself that my son would be in soccer, that he'd learn piano, like. For, in my case, you know, every every teacher or, or caretaker my son's ever had has said, you know, he's really gifted in music. You should get him in music. I'm like, okay, cool. And then once you get that 20 or 30 times, which I have, I'm like, well, I guess I should. Like, I didn't really grow up with music. I grew up playing hockey and, right. you know, shooting things in the prairies. 
but I guess I need to like get, get my kid into music. So, yeah. so then, and then he's six years old. All of a sudden you're like, well, I, I can do this. I well, gotta do crap, this. Crap, you've, you've missed the window, David. Yeah. So that means architecturally to get a piano in your house, to get a guitar or get things in your house that are as convenient as possible. As one yeah. example. I have a piano in my house. There you go. My husband plays the piano and it's not too late for your son because I took up piano last year. Nice. I know. It's not too late. And I am incredible. Yeah. I can play um, Row Your Boat. Yeah. It's really good. In E major? Uh, in, in E major. Cool. Yeah. And, and F minor. And it's it's quite magical. That's effing awesome. Yeah. So the, I th the, the thing is like get being architect-y is uh, maybe people aren't as used to thinking critically about the spaces they're in. I don't think they we're, are. We were talking the other day about like if you host a dinner party, rule one is to play some music, right? Be, and get it going before people get there. Because if you if people start showing up and they're like, oh, I got to turn some music on, and then you turn on the music, whatever it is, there's gonna be someone's gonna be critical of it. And they're like, they just turned on some techno, and I was expecting some classical, or they just turned on some blues, and I was expecting some acid house, or. But um, if if it's playing before people get there, they'll just adjust the vibe, and they'll you know it's there. It's just part of the environment, and. Architecture is almost more um, deeply entrenched in our acritical subconscious than that. You know, if it's true that people will accept the music that's playing before they get to the dinner party, it's almost more true that people will accept the room that the music's playing in before they get to the dinner party. And there's a sense in which architecture is like the music that's playing before you start your music, before your guests arrive at the dinner party. I love that. Yeah. Mm, it's very true. The scene is already set before you arrive. Yeah. And that's what makes it so unique. Exactly. And so if we think of that in our own lives and think, well, our work environment's set up a certain way, like, and we could change it. Like, if we want to get in shape, then we could bring our running shoes to work and run home from work. Or we could uh, make doing what we think is good and valuable accessible. For example, you know, with our sons and, oh, my kids, they're growing up in this media-saturated world. I've, I, we've got this credenza right by our dinner table. We've got big sheets of paper and markers, pencil crayons everywhere so that it's really easy to draw pictures. I love drawing with my kids. It's right there set up so that that well, happens and it's easy to do what's good. So really? building a space that breeds those healthy elements of your lifestyle. Yeah, because right? my, my big point I think for this, and for anything addictive really, whether it's wine or social media or anything, mm -hmm. is I don't think that people can say no to things that are addictive. I think that they have to say yes to things that are healthy. And, and as a big first point to sort of displace that thing, if you're spending all your time on your phone, then rather than saying, I'm going to just say no, I, I think we have to say yes to a lot of things that are healthy that involve us engaging with our bodies apart from the digital space. And a lot of my, my perspective on this discussion is based on that. It's like, what can we say yes to? How can we redesign, redefine, redesign our environments so that it's easy to do what's good and healthy? That's what always spending time on our phone. Well, you two are both natural hosts. And I think hosting people and getting in a room with, with the people that we love and people that we respect is really almost a fine art. And I think, you know, Hannah is always the person who hosts parties and who hosts her family. I'm hosting and David, one tonight. The same. And what do you love about hosting that really connects you to people around you? Yeah, for me, hosting is everything. Having people in my space and having me be able to help them be happy and bring joy and be comfortable. 
means the world to me. I love it. I love being able to have them all in my space that I've created. And I, I've created a space that feeds my soul. You know, um, we've Airbnb'd our place before and some of our reviews have said, your space is very zen. <laughs> Which is zen. was very, yeah. I was, I took that one, I took that one away. And I mean, I don't want to say that that was an intention, but I just created a space that was comfortable for me. And every time that I added something to the room, I was like, oh, someone can sit there. Mm-hmm. Oh, when I have people over, someone can pull that seat around and we can make this circular space. So to your point of creating a space that breeds the thing that makes you happy, mm-hmm. that's what I did in my space in order to be able to host and to be able to have community in, in, my, Maybe in my space. Maybe like the antithesis to, or is it antithesis? Antithesis. Antithesis. From a Hegelian perspective. <laughs> Excuse me? Excuse me, David? Uh, Half the time, I don't know what you're saying. (laughs) David uses a lot of big words. We love him for it. I'm just trying to give people their minds worth. I mean, often we need a a definition of that. But yeah, yeah, the antithesis to spending a lot of time on our phones with our digital community might be to get re-in touch with our physical community. Of course. More often. I'm even guilty of it. But I love going over to people's places and hosting people. And I think it's a bit of a lost art. Sure. Well, and I think it's a, I think that's the sort of the central question is you have to ask yourself, which do you like better? Do you like the digital space or the, or the, the physical one? Do you like right. being with people in body, spirit, in, in space and time? Mm-hmm. Or do you prefer being connected to people digitally? Do you, do you prefer being connected to thousands of people or, or, or being able to connect with people digitally to being with people physically? Or do you not even know? Yeah. I know, and, and it's both, but I, th- I think it's useful. I would recommend to people, like, it's there's definitely merits of preferencing in-person face-to-face and allowing the social digital to supplement that rather than vice versa. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's, a, it's the conversation of, like, the introvert versus the, like, yeah. extrovert too, right? Because a lot of people will say, you know, well, I get my energy from being alone, but then are you really alone? Because yeah. are you on your phone really being, you know sort of impression by all these people that you're looking at on these digital platforms too but I think that yeah I think it really is about deciding that you want to do better and you want to feel better and you want to be healthy and and, and care about your mental health and some of these things that are real around being addicted to these platforms and then saying no, I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to invite my friends over or yeah. I'm going to get, I'm going to make a coffee date or I'm going to make a lunch date and I'm not going to cancel because mm-hmm. I'm, you know, making this commitment to having that physical interaction. Yeah. I mean, ironically or not so ironically, this is about creating space, mm-hmm. creating space in your life to do these other things, to get active, to be with people, creating spaces within your own home mm-hmm. to facilitate that, mm-hmm. right? Because if we're not feeling comfortable with our home, then we don't want to have people over, but creating room within our lives to have a more rounded, better balanced life. And, you know, Hannah and I have created a mentorship program that's mm-hmm. basically about this. Yeah. Creating a space, a safe space, that's casual, it's not uptight. We want women and men now, our last one, we included men, which was amazing, to come in and feel comfortable interacting and meeting new people. And it's amazing how many people are craving that mm-hmm. in any city. You know, we, we've, we've experienced it in Vancouver, but in any city, people always feel alone. They don't know how to get in touch with people. Sometimes you don't have that big, robust group of friends that you can just have over. You kind of need to go out and suss that out for yourself, even if you're not naturally comfortable being that extrovert. Yeah, you so, need to search for it. And, and I, I mean, yeah, yeah. sorry, I do think that we do, 
I think it is attainable to have both. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think that it is attainable to have that social media presence and share your life and, you know, get some of that serotonin from, you know, that that feeling of people liking and, and reacting to your content, but then also having that physical interaction. You just need to find a balance between it. Mm-hmm. And it's that education there that I think is the discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, you mentioned hosting. I, I would... I love hosting people and I think recommend that anyone does it because in the same way that people seeing artificial images of each other's bodies is preventing them from, is giving them anxiety about um, their, how long their legs are and the blemishes on their faces and their hair and everything like that. And, and just the way that the fakeness of that has affected the way we see ourselves. I think that maybe social media also that plays back into people how they see their spaces and they think my apartment isn't good enough to host people and, and that's absolutely not the case. When you go to the cultures in the world that are totally winning, like Italy or, or whatever, yeah. you know they're having people in each other's houses and they're just having dinner together. Mm-hmm. And you've got to de-escalate the expectation of everything being perfect and you just got to get together. Wine is always going to be there for you. It's always going to make things awesome. As and long as yeah. you have wine, is not is everyone not happy? <laughs> like, know. let's be honest. As, long as, as long as the booze is flowing, but I think that that does touch on the topic of the the sort of reach towards your digital self. Like, if you're putting this persona out there onto the you know your yeah. digital platforms, that isn't authentic to you and actually isn't who you are. So I think that's that's really terrifying, right? Yeah. We talked about this, like helping your digital self and your physical self meet in the mm-hmm. middle in a way, right? And I think that thinking about what you're putting out to the world with a more purposeful outlook or lens is good because you can say, is that me, right? I mean, editing your photos is kind of this crazy thing where we're like, oh, I'm not good enough. Yeah. So I'll I mean, tuck this in let's here. All, yeah, totally. Let's all, let's all agree that the people who edit things heavily and that are extremely popular they're going to get that, they're going to maintain that. But what we're all most interested in is connecting with each other. And when our friends that we love and our, our businesses that we love are authentic about their social media, it's really interesting, right? Yeah, and it so isn't always edited. It, it isn't always edited. It's a bit sketchy and... and um, it's not perfect. It's not punk. polished. Yeah. Yeah. There's this punk yeah. quality to it. Mm-hmm. And we need to remind ourselves of that and, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, let it be more fluid. Yeah. I got one more architecty thing for you. Can I drop okay. it on you? Yeah, a couple drop it more. On us. All right, yeah. cosmopolitanism, right? Yes. So what? So cosmopolitan, the cosm, the cosmopolite. Yes. The cosmopolitan person is is someone who can move through the city, uh, and move through various circles that are unfamiliar to them without friction, right? And the, a city, an urban environment, is a place where there's all kinds of stuff going on. There's all kinds of different people and and different meanings of what it means to move through the city. You walk down the sidewalk, one person's trying to walk on it, one person's skateboarding, one person's using it to sleep, one person's using it to sell something, etc. And that's the city. There's always overlapping spaces. And the the urbanists within the architectural discussion have always celebrated the fact that cities are these places where there's all these overlapping uh, things happening and have celebrated since, you know, let's say 1850 when, when modern cities really were being formed with intention with big boulevards and big open spaces 
the cosmopolite, the cosmopolitan person was someone who could navigate all these different territories with ease, mm -hmm. and it was it, and it was uh, healthy for them. And I think that's something to kind of aspire towards, especially given the fact that social media tends, well, we, we know the algorithms of social media aggregate people's interests to their feeds. Yeah. So the scary thing, part of this depression and anxiety that we're talking about is that when you have social media, it can tend to create an echo chamber of your life. And it knows when you're Google searching, uh, you know, products or fitness plans, whatever, and then just a bunch of fitness it's products. It's listening. It's listening, and it's and it's and it's creating this echo chamber around you, mm -hmm. and and it knows if you're interested in uh, soccer players, that it's going to send a bunch of soccer stuff or whatever you're interested in, right? So, I put I I offer to everyone, the city, as an antidote to this. People who are good at moving through the city itself, the space of the city, are getting nourishment for their psyche. There are so many architects and urbanists who have written about this. Rem Koolhaas wrote this awesome book called... Rem Koolhaas is an a, a architect in the Netherlands who wrote a book called Delirious New York that celebrates New York's ability to be this overwhelmingly um, multivalent okay. space. There's all kinds of stuff going on. There's just, totally. Everywhere you go, there's a million things happening, and it's completely overwhelming, and, and he loved this. And you try to create an architecture that responds to this. And it's sort of a definition for urbanism, this, all these overlapping spaces. I felt that when I was in Brooklyn for the first uh, four weeks of this year. Right. Just trying to figure out how to navigate the city and how to go from Brooklyn to Manhattan and how to work the L train and how to work the systems. And everyone is living their very own complicated layer of life all around you. And there's so much going on mm -hmm. at all times, but there's a real agency and almost a high in being able to get yourself from one place to the next and really feel like that city is a part of you and you're owning that city. Yeah. And it was so fascinating to me. I've never had more fun walking places than yeah. I do in New York. So I completely understand when you said that it totally triggered. I felt so much myself eventually by the end of the month, mm -hmm. just being able to navigate the city and walk around and feel like I owned a part of it and that I belong there. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'd say that the city sort of nourishes your psyche in that way, in, in the sense that, Let's say that you're that you're having this big personal problem. Let's go back to David Ginter in 2009 when I'm in architecture school, and maybe I presented my project in front of all my friends and professors, and I got a bad critique, and I'm just feeling horrible about my life, and just so um, so introspective about these problems in my life, and I'm trying to self-express myself, and no one's getting it, and everything, right? And social media can tend to do that to us because it it fosters and, and puts steroids for our ego and, and our introspective, like who am I and what's my brand and how, how is my social media kind of in alignment with this very distinct identity that I'm curating and, 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 and it can create this narcissistic echo chamber. The city's wonderful for that. It nourishes that because you can step out into urban life and there are people everywhere who don't care. You're so small. And it's good. That's good people. It gives you perspective. Yeah. It gives you perspective and it's, and, and kind of doubling back to that, that thing that we touched on at the beginning, people say, oh man, I'm, I'm on my phone too much. I need to go to Squamish. I need to, no, I need to just get out in nature. I need to go somewhere that's not mapped out. I need to just turn my phone off and get out into some trees and just get away from it all. Well, I think there's an even more healthy version of that. And that's just being in a city where you're part, where you're with people and you're surrounded by people who don't fully understand the nuances of your 
internal life and you're able to navigate that and learn them and learn what it means to be in Chinatown and be in the, the financial district and be over in Kitsilano with their you know, green smoothies and everything, right? Navigate the whole thing. And, and the extent to which you can do that, I think it, it allows you an opportunity to sort of test out your little personal beliefs on life and, and have these, let, let's put it this way. It's counterintuitive for people to think, people to say the city's very impersonal and um, superficial, right? When I have a conversation with my barista or my grocer, they don't, it's not, they ask me how I'm doing, but they don't really want to know, right. you know? <laughs> but what I'm saying is that these superficial conversations and this um, this impersonal aspect of the city is very positive. Right. And it's something we should welcome because it counteracts the narcissism in our lives. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very so like contrasted discussion to what we're seeing as far as you know, these articles that are coming out. Like, get out in nature. Yeah. Just sit alone get reconnected with it. No. And that, that's not going to work for everybody. <laughs> and it's such a... It's so temporary because mm-hmm. then you get back into the city and the city becomes a stressful thing. So you're saying the that yeah, where you have to live. Maybe in your week you get to nature for five percent of it. So cool, only five percent. You're connected to your body and you're connected to your mind, your soul. No, absolutely not. You have to find that in in your environment, like yeah. what you're saying, urbanism. And like I think that that's some a perspective that I've never heard before, so and I really like that. What, say it one more time. Cosmopolitanite. What? Cosmopolitanism. I dropped the mic if it was an idea. Cosmopolitanism. The person, what are they called? A, a cosmopolite. Com- cosmopolite. cosmopolite. I yeah. I'm a cosmopolite. I know. I it's not just a cocktail. I would pay you $100 if you could say cosmopolite <laughs> 20 times. <laughs> Try it three times. SP68 cosmopolite. SP68 cosmopolite. <laughs> no. You I can't do it. You only got two. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I think that is a really good point to sort of wrap things up on because I feel like that is a really profound statement that I personally haven't heard that perspective before and I think that that almost gives me clarity as a person that maybe struggles with some of these things as well and being really authentic and raw here I mean like I think that even in my 28th year I'm, I'm struggling with these things of getting bombarded with the social media and and all of these things as well and even though we started this business to really bring authenticity back into social media the fact of the matter is is that it's always going to be there this layer of of inauthentic and maybe fake world that you know was there before in magazines and tv but now it's just at our fingertips mm-hmm. and i think that i am going to try and be more like a cosmopolite and do these things that David has brought to our attention. So thanks for sharing all that with us. Hey, my pleasure. It's been really fun to talk. So David, thank you so much for being an incredible guest, our first, or no, second ever guest on our fourth episode of Ardor Hour. Thank you so much. You brought us wine. You brought us insight. So much value. Um, like you said, money's worth. I think our guests will definitely get that. Ching, ching. And we actually are charging $8 now for each episode of Ardor Hour. <laughs> I don't think we're there yet, Sam. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you, David, we've covered so many topics. This has been such an amazing and insightful conversation, but... Is there any final thoughts from you? It, a final thought for me, or the thought that I return to when I get all hot and bothered about social media and, and space, is to maybe two things. One, just be a lover of reality. Mm-hmm. Love being with people in space, being in spaces, looking at the spaces that you're in and just be in love with reality. Uh, it seems weird to say it, but... 
our, our phones have images and things like that, but our eyes in our body work so well and our noses and our ears and to be present in a space and to just be able to see your friends with your own eyes and hear them with your own ears is superior to the thing on your screen. That's mm -hmm. my overwhelming opinion. There's that. Yeah. The second is to just, if you get overwhelmed by how awesome social media is and it begins to be so awesome that you notice everything else in your life is suffering then sure turn it off delete it for a little bit but really try to focus uh, just implement and do the the good things that you know are good design your life such that the space around you makes doing those things easy and um and i find that brings things back into balance yeah fill your cut back up that's kind of what we say fill your cut back up yeah when you've okay. got an empty cup, fill it back up. I'm gonna do with that things right you now. love. Yeah, on that note, should we have a little cheers? Sure. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks so much, David. Awesome. It's great working with you guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right back at ya. Invite me back in a year when you guys have blown up completely. When we have oh. one million when we have subscribers. Yeah. One million. Joe Rogan's desperately trying to get on your podcast. We'll invite like, girls, girls, we'll I have really want to be interviewed. That was pretty good answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to stop this again. Thanks for listening to our conversation with David Ginter of Shape Architecture. Be sure to follow Shape Architecture as they continue to pioneer sustainable architecture in Vancouver and beyond. And we do their social media. So it's really good. Thanks again for tuning in to Art or Hour podcast. We'll be back for episode five. In the meantime, we would so appreciate if you rated, reviewed, and shared the Arter Hour podcast with a friend. And if you'd like to know when a new episode is aired, be sure to hit that subscribe button. And for more info on Roots and Arter, be sure to visit our website, www.rootsandarter.com. See you next time.